Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. So we're in our chronological journey through the Gospels. Uh, two years of going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we have come to lesson number 60. So the whole idea is to take the Gospels and to mesh them together in what would seem to be the chronological order. Except Luke is giving me a lot of trouble here. Uh, and, and we're just going to park in Luke for a little while because he kind of stands alone, but not all the time. But he stands alone from chapters 12, verse 13, uh, into chapter 18, verse 14. Many of these things that we read from Luke's Gospel on this point, they don't necessarily fit with the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, who... John always kind of stands off on his own. So we have the three Gospels called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because they do uh, relate to each other and tell uh, similar things about Jesus. And then John only a few times uh, repeats some of the narratives that we read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But here Luke gives us a lot of individual teachings. In the timeline, it seems to fit somewhat best here. But it may or may not. Um, we're going to go ahead and teach through over the next several weeks, as I said, from Luke 12, 13 through 18, verse 14, because I really don't know what else to do or where to put these. We're in this area of Jesus. Uh, when we get back to the Gospel of John, in John 10, 22, it'll be the Feast of Dedication. We know that um, for those who are not Jewish, but we all kind of, even if you're not Jewish, you know what Hanukkah is and the Feast of Dedication kind of fits with that season. And so we're getting really close to the final months of Jesus's. We are in those final months of Jesus's ministry before he goes to the cross. The next great feast day is the Feast of Dedication in the timeline. And then the next feast day after that would be Passover. So we are in the winter months in Israel, Jesus is teaching. We're looking at Luke's gospel beginning in chapter 12, verse 13. And today we're going to see the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12, 13 through 21. And then I'm going to skip because we've already went over uh, verses 22 through 31 in another gospel. We're going to skip down to Luke 12, 32 through 34. And the question, how should we live? And then Luke 12, 35 through 59, girded and ready. And, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about where these somewhat mesh together. As they go through, I'll let you know um, if Mark, John didn't deal with any of this stuff. So from Luke 12, um, 13 through 18, 14, John didn't mention any of this. Mark sometimes mentioned Matthew 
more often would coordinate with Luke, but not in the same timeline. So that's why it's hard to kind of fit it together. But I'll let you know when those occasions when Matthew or Mark also touches on a certain topic. But we're going to begin by looking at the parable of the rich fool and begin by reading 13 through 15, Luke chapter 12, verse 13. It says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So we begin with uh, a brother, and it could be assumed that this is a younger brother in Israel. They had the practice of the eldest in the house would get a double portion of the father's wealth. The idea of that is that he would become the head of the household and all the responsibilities that his father had over the household, mom and dad had over the household, would then go down to the eldest son and his wife, and they would manage the house. Mom and dad would go into retirement on the property somewhere, maybe get a nice little house, cottage somewhere on the property, but a double portion went to the eldest brother. And uh, it, it could be assumed, it may not necessarily be, because Luke doesn't give us all the detail here, but this could have been a, a sibling, a younger brother, saying, oh, that's not fair. Lord, tell him to share with me. I want a piece of that pie. That could have been what's going on here. And yet Jesus, he said, I'm not your judge. I'm not your arbitrator. At that time, the Lord wasn't, did not come to judge in that fashion. He will judge one day. But he said in John 12, 47, if anyone hears my words and does them, and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus didn't come at that time to be the judge over Israel. Israel often would have those, and in the Old Testament, we just went over this on Wednesday evening, that there were judges who ruled over the people before there were any kings. There were judges who had that authority. And on Wednesday, we read a passage that talked about the priest the Levites, and the judge, singular. And although Jesus, technically, he is the judge, he will one day judge. At that time, he didn't come to judge, but to save the world. But he did warn them about covetousness. Covetousness, the desire to have more of what you have or to have something that others have. It can have a negative impact upon your life, your relationship with God and with others. And that desire to have more or to have something that other people have, it can just wear on a person to where uh, it can negatively impact how they even function in this world. But also it impacts their relationship with God and others. Perhaps that's why the psalmist said in Psalm 119.36, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. So Jesus said in verse 15, One's life does not consist on the possessions that they have. 
And how contrary this statement seems to be in our world today, especially here in the United States, where it seems that the opposite is taught. You know, when I um, broke my neck in June, June 23rd, sometimes you get these dates stuck in your life that you'll probably always remember. That's one of those dates where I did something I shouldn't have done and had a wrestling match with an oak tree, and the oak tree won. But uh, it's interesting. I was in the hospital for five days. I was in a lot of pain. And uh, it probably wasn't until the fourth day that I even turned the television on. I didn't care about TV. And I probably have the television on too much in my house right now. But I was in so much pain um, that I wasn't concerned about the television I wasn't concerned about the things that maybe often might occupy our lives. Um, There were greater concerns at that time, and that had to do with health for me at that moment. And I mention that because when we come to the end of life, it's really um, when you come to an end of life season for an individual and stuff, it's not a person usually gathering all my possessions around me. Let me have a good look at the last stuff that I own. Who do they want near them? They want family to be near. Let me have a good look at the people I love and the people I hold dear. So truly, Jesus is right. Life does not consist about the abundance of the things that we possess. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 and 7, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing in this world, and it's certain we'll carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Godliness with contentment. So he gave the parable of the rich man and his bumper crop. Only Luke tells of this in verses uh, 6 through 21. I'll go ahead and read that for the context. Did I say 6? I did. But that's wrong. It's verse 16. I knew something was wrong there. In my notes, it does say six. I just left the one off. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So you've heard the saying, you can't take it with you. And that, that is true. When you die, your wealth, whatever you had, is going to stay for your family, your kin, uh, for people you loved, and maybe sometimes people you didn't love. And yet the rich man's great blessing did not spur him to want to share and to help those who were less fortunate. He already had barns. He already was. He began, Jesus said in verse 16, 
a certain rich man. He was already rich. It's not like suddenly he became rich. He was already rich. He already had barns. And his barns were already full. But the bumper crop was so large that he couldn't store what he had. And so his decision was to pull down the old barns, build greater barns, and then to take his ease. He, he spoke to his soul. Soul? I don't know if you go around doing that. Speaking to your soul. Soul? This is what we're going to do. Most of us don't. But that's what he decided to do. There would have been nothing wrong for him to pull down those barns, build greater barns, and then say to himself, you know what, I'm going to use this provision that God has given me to help others. That would have been appropriate. But here, it was all for himself to eat, drink, and be merry. And yet, what he did not know is that God was going to require his soul that very night. He was going to die. And the question was, then whose wealth will this be? These things you have provided, who will get it? So there are those who are rich in this life with no concern for God or others. And one day they will discover that all their reward will be this side of heaven. They've already received their consolation according to Luke 6.24. But on the other hand, Paul gave Timothy instruction concerning the rich in his day, how they might be rich toward God. In 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, it says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for that time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Very similar to Jesus in verse 21 of Luke 12 where he said, So is he who lays up his treasure for himself. It is not rich toward God. We find that there is a way to whether you lay up treasures for yourself and then in this world that's all you get or you lay up your treasures toward God in helping others, you discover that you are rich toward God. Trusting not in these earthly uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So the rich man laying up treasures for himself on this earth left him no heavenly riches. And then Jesus in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, he said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart also be. So we'll come back and touch on this in a moment. But... For now, those who lay up their treasures in heaven are rich toward God and others. And so the question, are you laying up your riches toward God? Or are you merely seeking the riches of this world? How are you conducting yourself? How are you living in this life? Now, before we move on to Luke 12, 32 through 34, I'm going to skip verses 30 
32 through 31, because we covered this when we taught in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, and in lesson 26, so this was a long time ago. I could redo this because it's been a year ago since we covered this, but I'll give you a quick summary instead. So it was lesson 26. It was our fourth point. It was titled, In Whom Do You Seek? And we took it from Matthew 6, 25 through 36, 25 through 34. And there are Jesus, and here in this passage as well, Jesus teaching that life is more than food, more than clothes. And he gave two main examples of that of the ravens, the birds, whom the Lord feeds. And he says specifically that they do not sow, they do not reap. And yet God provides for them. And then of the lilies of the field, who had this extraordinary beauty, greater than even the greatest clothing that Solomon could have made for himself. And of the lilies, they did not toil, they did not spin. And yet, through these examples, Jesus reminds us that we are of more value to God than the birds and the lilies. Therefore, we should not worry about or be anxious about the food, the clothing, but rather we are to, Luke 12, 31, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Now, in all of this, I would never say just sit back, relax, wait for God to provide. I think God has given us ability to work with our hands, to use our minds, uh, to labor, to bring provision for ourselves, for our families, for others. So God has given us these abilities, and it's very useful for us. It's, it's good for labors uh, to be engaged in a, a labor that brings pleasure, brings joy, brings provision. But to know that the priority isn't the jobs that we have or the abilities, the skills that we have, the priority should be our relationship with God and trusting Him for the provisions that He would provide for us. So in verse 32, we are not to fear. In verse 32, do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We are not to fear. It's God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom of God. And seeking the kingdom of God is like is not like seeking for an unattainable thing. Uh, we've heard these folk, folklore, I guess, of you know the fountain of youth or King Solomon's mind, all these riches that some people are probably still looking for, the fountain of youth, absolutely. A lot of money is made off products that can help us stay young, or the riches, like King Solomon's mind, trying to find the great riches that have been hidden. We are not to seek such things, but in seeking in this life, we seek the kingdom of God first, because it's God's good pleasure to bring provision. So there could be people engaged, you know, maybe they are treasure hunters. But you can be a treasure hunter and be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You just know, need to know where your priority is. And I think that is a mistake a lot of people make in this world, especially here in the United States, because they 
have God is not part of their priority whatsoever, or in their mind, they think, I'll get to God one day when God is saying, get to the things of eternal life right now, and I'll help you with the other things. But we try to do it on our own, and it can be most difficult when we try to go it on our own. In 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, Peter wrote, Blessed be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, seeing that we are receiving the kingdom of God, the kingdom that God has provided for us. We don't need to be worried. We don't need to be anxious. We don't need to fear, but rather we can serve the Lord with reverence and godly fear. Serve the Lord in this life and serve others as you go. So Jesus said in verses 33 through 34, sell what you have, give alms, provide for yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches or moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So have you ever seen the bumper sticker? It's usually somebody who's in their 50s, 60s, 70s. They got this big RV, and on the back of the RV, it might have a bumper sticker that says, we're spending our children's inheritance. Well, I don't believe that's what Jesus is referring to here. That we should not bring provision or have any kind of provision or wealth in our homes or not even to uh, give an inheritance to our children. So when you look at the Bible, you need to look at the context of the whole Bible. And the whole Bible speaks about, well, Proverbs 13, 22, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of a sinner is stored up for the righteous. Or 2 Corinthians 12, 14, I will not be burdensome to you, Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth, saying, I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you... For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. So Paul, as a missionary and the founder of this church in Corinth, said, I don't want to be a burden to you guys. Like your dad, I should be laying up treasure for you, not you laying up treasure for me. So since our Heavenly Father knows the needs that we have, he brings provision to meet those needs in our lives, knowing that it is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom of God, then we, like Jesus, should be going about the business of our Father. Luke 2.49, Jesus said that he was going about his Father's business. Or to do business until I come is something that Jesus also instructed his disciples to do. Understanding that our true treasures are not here on this earth, but there in heaven. And while we live on this earth, we can have stuff. But it's important for us to know that the importance of the stuff that we have should not supersede our relationship with others 
and our relationship primarily with God. We shouldn't let the earthly things cloud our vision to have that relationship with God and with others, helping others to come into the kingdom of God. Acts 2, 44 and 45, the early church, when all the believers came together, they had all things in common. They sold their possessions, their good. They divided them among all as everyone had need. And so where's our heart today? Is it primarily focused on the things of this earth, on food, on drink, on clothing, provision? Do you find life, in life, are you being consumed with worry? Are you anxious? Are you fearful? Would you describe yourself as one who lives to consume all that the Lord has provided for you on your own good pleasure? Or do you have a heart that's storing up treasures in heaven, a heart that desires to serve others by helping to meet others and the daily need that they might have by trusting our Heavenly Father will always meet our need. So where's your treasure? Jesus said, there your heart will also be. It's a good question to ask. So girded and ready. We don't use that term girded too much today. And although we're going to touch on this again in Matthew 24, 42 through 51, I didn't want to disconnect it from the context. So I'm not going to skip this portion like I skipped a portion earlier because we had already taught it. Uh, we'll see when we get to Matthew 24, 42 through 51 what I do, do with it then. But um, I didn't want to disconnect it from the context. And it, it shouldn't be unfamiliar, um, really not unfamiliar, but the thought of the likelihood that Jesus would teach on the same subject in a different setting somewhere else. I tell you what, when someone from another church asks me to come and teach, I'm usually teaching something that I've taught before. Sometimes because maybe I thought um, I really liked the message, but it needed to be refined. I needed to do a little bit more with it, and it gives me a second opportunity to teach the message again. And sometimes I may do an entirely fresh message, but it shouldn't be odd that Jesus would teach these more than once. And so as Jesus transitions his sermon from teaching his disciples how they might be rich toward God, he next teaches about the importance of living a girded and ready life. And so 35 through 38, we read, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. When he returns from the wedding, and that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, finds will find watching. Surely I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. Verse 38. And if he should come in the second watch or in the third watch and finds them so, blessed are those servants. So you recall, maybe in your life, an occasion when you were anticipating a certain person to arrive. I mean, it could be a special guest that is coming to your house. Maybe they're 
uh, coming and meeting you at a restaurant. Maybe you're going to pick them up at an airport or a, a bus depot, a train station, but you're waiting for their arrival. And you're, if it's your home, you're looking out your front window. Uh, if it's at a restaurant, you're looking toward the restaurant door. Uh, if it's at a, a airport, you're looking for that gate that they might be coming out. And when they show up, you're excited. You see them with great joy. You greet one another. It's been a while. So should our hearts be as we await for Jesus' return. To guard ourselves, as I said, we don't use that saying today, although I could say it could be used for a lot of teenage boys today. Just say, gird yourself or put a belt on. (laughs) Because... That's the whole idea behind the girding. They wore long robes. If they were going to run, to work, or do battle, they didn't move very well ungirded. I mean, they'd trip up. You've seen the videos. And again, I'll just pick on the pant saggers of our day. They've done something wrong. They want to run away and they have to have one hand on the back of their pants just to hold them up to run. They don't run too well that way. Their pants are falling down. The idea is to gird yourself. They would lift up the robe, tie it in such a way with a sash that they would be free to battle, to run, or to work. And we find examples of it throughout the Old Testament, First Kings 18.46, And the hand of the Lord shall come upon Elijah, and he girded himself and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Elijah girded himself. He drew up his robes that he could run, and he outran a chariot. There was some supernatural stuff going on there to help him do that, but he outran the chariot. It could have been that he forgot to gird himself, and he tripped And the Lord would have said to Elijah, you know, I would have helped you run faster. But since you didn't want to gird up your robe there, uh, Ahab's going to beat you to Jezreel. That did not happen. David in 1 Samuel 25, 13, every man gird on his sword, David said. So every man girded on his sword. David also girded on his sword. They were getting ready for battle. Or Proverbs speaking about uh, that Proverbs 31:17, talking about that righteous woman there, she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. So gird yourself. Get ready to run, to work, to battle. And also keep your lamps burning. And that, that refers to, in their day, the oil lamps that they had. They would have to trim the wicks, um, keep the oil filled, The servants, they were to be alert. They were to be waiting for the master's coming. That last verse that we read uh, talked about whether he came in the second or third watch. So first watch, second watch, third watch. There was a fourth watch as well that Jesus didn't mention. But no matter the time, if the master comes and they open the door to him and he finds them waiting, Well, great will be the joy of the master. So spiritually, we are to have our waist girded, our lamps lit, prepared for Jesus' return. Contextually, his knock here isn't referring to salvation, but the readiness of those who have been saved that are awaiting 
the Lord soon return. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 6 says, Brethren, you're not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. The day, like the day of the Lord, it shouldn't overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light, sons of the day. We are not of night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. But notice, when the master came, the servants didn't gird themselves to serve the master. The master girded himself to serve the servants. Now, that's unheard of. Uh, In our day and age, we here in this room at least, you know, there's not master-slave. There is slavery throughout the world. Um, Usually the master doesn't serve the slaves, the servants. But think about um, maybe some company you work at. uh, The head of maybe some large company. You normally don't see the head of that company serving those who are working for him or her, employed by them. You work to serve others, but here the master serves. Verse 37, as surely I say, he will gird himself, have them sit down to eat, will come and serve them. The greatest example of Jesus doing this in John 13, 4 through 6, when Jesus arose from the supper, laid aside his garment, took a towel, girded himself, And after that, he poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet. He wiped them with the towel, which he had girded himself with. And so the master serves. The master, Jesus, when he comes, Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God will be in your midst. The Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And the Lord, when he comes, he's going to rejoice over you with gladness, quiet you with his love, rejoice over you with singing. He's going to be singing to you. We sing to the Lord all the time. One day Jesus will be singing to us. So know this, Jesus said, verses 39 through 40, that if the master of the house had known the hour that the thief would come, He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So when I was a teenager, our home was broken into. Years later, after Lily and I were married in our home in Zion, in 2410 Edina, um, on a January day, came home to the house being broken into, things robbed. Had two vehicles. Our first home was um, back in the day. We used to call them trailer courts. Now they're manufactured homes. So however you want to say that. And when Lily and I first got married, we lived in a trailer court in Beach Park. And uh, I came from a, a home that, for the most part, we didn't worry about locking the cars, the vehicles. And so when we moved, I didn't worry about locking my car. Until somebody broke in and there wasn't a lot of stuff in there. It was nothing of real value, but it was all gone. It was what was mine. It was the stuff I kept in my car. Uh, no big deal. It was, it was a theft. It taught me to lock my doors, and I do pretty good at that these days. 
But uh, down in Florida, Lily's purse, my mom's purse, uh, my mom had a a pearl necklace my dad had bought her. They were all stolen. And I can tell you in each situation, if I'd known, I would have handled things differently. If I had known in January, way back when, uh, on 2410 Edina, that someone was going to come in and break in our home, I would have just stayed home from work that day. And I did do different things differently afterwards because we learned how easily our house was broken into and why. And so we changed the door. We changed the locks. We made it more difficult. We did do things differently after that. And that carries with us to this day. So, yes, of course, if you had known, but the whole idea of this is that you don't know. You don't know the day of Jesus' coming. So we can't say that Jesus is coming next Sunday at 1245. So let's all meet at church. We'll wait. We'll just meet the Lord right here. Go up into heaven. It will be wonderful. Everybody show up next week. We won't even go home from church. We'll just stay till 1245. All right. Jesus said, if anyone says the day or the hour... Uh, he's not coming on that day, so we can just cross that one off the list. So after church and we fellowship next week, you can all go home. We don't know the day and the hour. Maybe it'll be at 1246, though. You don't know. We are to watch. So may I suggest, how are we to watch? Here's my suggestion to you. I'm going to take it out of two passages of Scripture, that we are to take heed, we're to stay alert, and we're to cast off and put on. First of all, take heed. Luke 21, 34 through 36. But take heed to yourself. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, the cares of this life, that the day come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare to all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore, pray always, that you may be counted worthy to escape the things that shall come and stand before the Son of God. So how are we to watch? I could have added another thing in there. We're to pray also. We're to take heed and pray. Specifically, that's what the Lord gave us here. So I missed one. I'm learning as we go through this. So first of all, take heed and pray that we might be counted worthy to escape and stand before the Son of Man. Secondly, we are to stay alert and we're to cast off and put on. Romans 13, 11 through 14. Do this knowing the time that it is high time to awake out of our sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in rivalry, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness, not in lust, not in strife, not in envy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. No, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So secondly, we can say here in Romans 13, we are to stay alert, we're to cast off, and we're to put on. So we're called to gird ourselves, to light our lamps, to watch, to be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour we do not expect. So Peter asked Jesus. Now I love it when the disciples ask questions because I'm sure that as we read through Scripture, we would love to ask Jesus a few things as well. P- 
Peter did. He said, verses 41 through 44, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And Jesus responded, Who then is a faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their provision of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. So Peter, confused. I don't find that odd. I'm often confused about things I read in the Word of God. I ponder the things of God. He asked the question, Lord, are you talking to us, believers only? Or are you talking to all people? Are you talking to believers and unbelievers? And Jesus didn't give him a direct answer. I kind of like that about Jesus sometimes. Why didn't you just tell us, Lord? I did. It's there. It's in the book I left for you. I know it has a lot of pages and a lot of chapters and a lot of books in it, but it's there for you to find if you take the time to research, to study. So he didn't give him a direct answer. Jesus taught that both believers and unbelievers will be held accountable before God. To the faithful and wise steward, whom his master finds doing good, doing his father's business, that master will expand his responsibilities. And I've just paused on this a few times, even this morning. He said in verse 42, he'll make him a ruler over the household to give them their portion of food in due season. So the responsibility, I believe, is what is being referred to here. I didn't write any of this in my notes, but the responsibility, responsibility that the Lord gives to us, that as we properly serve the Lord, we're able to help bring provision, and it, it may be physical provision, it may be spiritual provision, but we're help, able to help bring the Lord's provision to others as well, to them. So to them there, to me, speaks about all who would be under the authority of that servant. He made him a ruler over the household. It was a household like Joseph in the book of Genesis, who the Pharaoh made him second in charge, and he had authority over all those who were under him except for the Pharaoh. So his master will expand his responsibilities to give provision to others and the individual as well. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. That is what we are to be, found faithful, doing business until Jesus comes. But the unfaithful, the unwise steward, verses 45 through 46, the servant says in his heart, my master delays his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants to eat and drink and be drunk. The master of that servant will come one day on a day he is not looking for him in an hour he does not expect. He will cut him in two on an appoint to him his portion with the unbelievers. So the unfaithful, the unwise servant Referring to those unbelievers, unbelieving religious rulers, maybe of Jesus' day. They had oversight over their nation, but they were misusing 
the authority that the Lord had given them. The Lord said that one day he will come and judge them and they will have their portion with the unbelievers because they are. So we are to watch and be ready. Um, just this last week, we dealt with some things on the radio ministry. Here's a standard that I've always had with our radio ministry. We're playing contemporary Christian music, rap music, whatever it might be, dance, disco, a lot of music I don't care for, country. Uh, I'm not a country fan. Some people are, but I didn't grow up listening to country music. And we play it on our radio. A lot of different artists, and we can't know everything about everybody. We do research. We trust uh, some of the record labels sometimes. But then we discover that uh, they're taking stances that do no longer, do not, lo- do not any longer, I'll get it out, do not any longer agree with the foundational principles of the Word of God. So the standard has been throughout the years that we just quietly remove the artists from the radio. They don't pay us to play music on our radio station. We don't pay, well, we do pay, but we don't pay them directly, I guess. But uh, we just pull them off, and not much is said. I'm going to say some things right now. Um, I couldn't think about it. We had talked about this prior to Dana and Bob uh, taking over new responsibilities in the radio ministry. And I knew there was a band in the back of my mind that I'd pull from the rotation, but I couldn't remember the band. All I remembered, it was the lead singer from a band in Canada. I couldn't remember anything else. What is the name of that band? And then I saw the name, Hawk Nelson, and it, it all came back to me. Back in 2020, their lead singer... John Steingard announced on social media after growing up in a Christian home, being a pastor's kid, playing and singing in a Christian band, having the word Christian in front of most of the things in my life, I now find that I no longer believe in God. And I thought, well, John, we will no longer play your music on our station. (laughs) Because that's kind of a Isn't that kind of what Christian music is? You're singing about God? If you don't believe in God, then you're not singing about God. It's not Christian music. Most recently, a very talented female artist. Her name is Tiffany Arbuncle Lee, but she goes by the name Plum. And just this year, in June, early June, on her social media page, she said... Happy Pride Month to all my LGBTQ plus siblings. I see you. I love you. And she wrote that on her Instagram page with a depiction of the rainbow. So the LGBTQ plus society has hijacked the, the rainbow from the word of God. And here is a Christian artist who uses the rainbow that's been hijacked to mean something totally different than what God gave it in the book of Genesis, and so Plum is going to be pulled from our mix. Derek Webb, this one's a little, this takes a little more research, but he was, when I looked at this one, he was with Cayman's Call, the former songwriter for Cayman's Call. So if Cayman's Call as a band said, all right, Derek, if you're going to go that way, we're not going with you then I'll stand with Cayman's call. But we'll have to investigate this. But again, this is 
uh, recent stuff. Cayman's Call, the former songwriter Derek Webb, in, came out in support of a drag queen, Flamey Grant. Think of a Christian artist from back in the 70s and 80s. You know her name. This is a drag queen, Flamey Grant. And this is what Derek wrote. There are a lot of people in the Christian music that want this, speaking of LGBTQ acceptance in Christian music, but no one wants to be the first to take that step. What would be suicide for one person could be a revolution for those who follow. Well, we're not going to follow Derek. Even if the rest of the Christian music industry does, we'll find another way to use the radio station to serve Jesus but we will not follow. Though some may view people like this as social revolutionaries, I would merely put them in the classification of unfaithful and unwise stewards who are no longer faithfully watching for our Lord's soon return. So I'm going to finish this up right there because we have a lot of scripture in front of us and I'm out of time. So lucky you, (laughs) Pastor John's watching his watch. I had more to go, but we'll pick it up next week. And we'll pick up next week in verse 47. I'm going to write that down right now and not forget. You know, when I looked at my notes this morning, I thought, huh, a little shorter than normal, my notes. But it's what doesn't get in my notes that can lengthen a message or not. And I always rely on the Lord to kind of get in my head. I want the Holy Spirit to direct the teaching of his word. And if it takes us a little longer, it takes us a little longer. As long as we're hearing from the Lord today. We do live in a world, as we finished up on these last points of the question of being faithful and unwise stewards or unfaithful. And no, it's a faithful and wise stewards versus unfaithful and unwise stewards. And my question, I guess, would be, since this isn't my official closing that I'd put together, what type of servant do you plan on being? And as the Lord tarries, and this seems to be the issue for a lot of people, as the Lord tarries his coming, they're no longer watchful, they're no longer waiting, they get caught up in the things of this world, they get caught up in social issues, they get pressure from the outside that pushes them on certain things that they may or may not really truly believe. But if they want to stay in the industry, they got to say something, they got to do something instead of holding true, standing strong upon the word of God. And so um, let the word of God be that foundation for you. Let the word of God be that foundation upon you build your life, yes, but how we are to conduct ourselves in this life, the stands when we need to take a stand, when we need to walk away, when we need to maybe remove somebody uh, from a position for the radio ministry that's easy for us because we have no ties, connections with these people. We just learn that they are promoting something that isn't taught in the Bible. We'll pull them. And I largely do that because I don't want to attract somebody to a certain artist or individual and they have great influence and have them teaching something that is no longer of the word of God, no longer of God. 
And I even do this in the church. I, I don't think it's necessarily wrong to read views and opinions of different people that you don't agree with. It's healthy, in fact. It helps you kind of hone in on the positions that you have. But I will never personally direct people to other people who have questionable uh, things, statements. I'll never direct other people there because I don't want to get others who maybe spiritually aren't strong enough to um, understand or to stand. They don't have the firm foundation of God's word yet. They're building their foundation. So I want to help them build with good tools and help them build an analogy from being a brick mason, help them build with good products that they can build a firm foundation upon which they can build their lives. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to put our trust in you, your provision for our fellowship, for our lives individually. We thank you, Lord, for the salvation that you have provided. We thank you, Lord, that today we learned when you come again and you find us waiting, we're anticipating your return, that you will serve with joy, Lord. You will show your love toward us. You'll sing over us. How beautiful that passage is from Zephaniah. Until that day, Lord, help us to build on firm foundations, to stand strong on the truth of your word, that we might serve you girded and ready, but serve others as well as we await your return. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.